All right, all right. Hey, great to see you. Go ahead and take your uh, Bible or your device. Uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4, which is where we're going to be. I want to say hello to other uh, seven uh, Biltmore Church campuses across the uh, the beautiful 828. Man, tourists are showing up, seeing a lot of Ohio and Florida license plates. It's that time, all right? It's that time, so be nice on the road. At least be nicer than your pastor. Uh, but hey, Great to, great to see you. And if you're watching online, I'm glad you're here. I want to say specifically a hello to Bonnie from Fairview and uh, Felicia and Margaret from Georgia and, and uh, Charles from Silver Spring, Maryland. Hey, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, uh, hopefully your campus pastor said what uh, was just said here. And that is that uh, this past week, I'd see some great things. I think it was the second week of a church plant uh, that came out of our church a few months ago. Um, called Coastway Church, but also yesterday, because they're so far ahead of us in time, was the launch after uh, much travail <laughs> called COVID and delays. But yesterday was the first official service uh, of the London Church plant, Redeemer Queens Park, and they had a phenomenal kickoff in London, England. So keep praying for them. I was uh, late to the game getting the picture and forgot to send it, but I'll get you one here real, real soon. But Redeemer Queens Park, pray for uh, pray for them. A couple other things real quick. Starting points are at, I think, four of the campuses this week. Make sure you signed up for that. If you're like, I mean, I've been here, going, I've been going here for like two years. If you've not been to a starting point, all right, make sure that you sign up. You can do it in the lobby, wherever you want to do that. But also, here's a cool thing. Over the next about, it's called Heroes Week, but actually it starts this week, and then next week after that is the big push for it. But what we're doing is, uh, you know, the Bible says to give honor to those whom honor is due. And people that deserve honor, honor means weight, that we give weight to somebody. And what we're going to do, and there's a whole bunch of stuff you'll be hearing about, the way we want to honor uh, both um, frontline medical workers as well as first responders. And so, again, if you are one of them, over the next uh, hopefully 10, 12 days, you will feel greatly honored. And actually, next week at all the campuses, you will have a chance to put your mark on that as well. And that will be obvious when you you walk in. All right, so here's where we are. We're in this deal called the Year of the Bible. Bible. All right, I think in COVID years, it's actually nine years, but uh, what we are is we're in this thing called the year of the Bible, and where we are is we're kind of in a little subsection uh, in the book of Acts, call, and we kind of subtitle it called the movement continues, all right? The movement continues, because the book of Acts is a Basically, it's history of the early church, about the first 30 years of the church. And I said in week one of this, it's like we want to look at this not as scholars to just kind of learn what God did. We want to look at it as soldiers to say, okay, that's not just what God did, but there's a lot of things in here that God still wants to do. And uh, today, uh, you don't have to drive around western North Carolina in particular uh, long before you see this. All right, you are going to see this. You'll see that. that you'll see that. You'll see that as a bumper sticker. Uh, you'll see that in a store. And you'll see that uh, particularly on a bunch of Subarus, not trying to hate, I'm just saying it's true, all right? And when you, when you see that, I don't, don't hate on that, it's just true, okay? So, um, but it, what it is, if you look at it, and everybody kind of knows what that is, I mean, go ahead and put it back up there for a second so they can kind of look at it. So when you see that up there, the coexist symbol, it's written with the symbols of different worldviews, different religions, different, uh, different viewpoints, and you got the crescent, of course, you got the, you got the crescent moon of Islam, you got the peace sign, you got the, you know, the gender equality symbol, uh, you've got the, uh, the star of David representing Judaism, you've got the eye representing paganism, you've got the, the yin and yang representing Taoism, and then obviously you've got the cross that is representative of Christianity. So if you really want to ruin a party, if you really, really, really want to be politically incorrect, all right, if you, if you want to be looked at as uh, 
unenlightened uh, or worse, a bigot or worse, intolerant or worse, all you've got to do, all right, all you've got to do is communicate in some way uh, about the, what I'm just going to call the exclusivity of the gospel. In other words, all you've got to do, all you've got to do is, uh, and one of the biggest objections of Christianity is the idea that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's the only thing you've got to do. If you really want to be like a, you are uneducated, you are backwoods, all you've really got to do is be able to say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to kind of quote Jesus, you know, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, or broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. You quote that. I mean, it's okay if you've got all five or six, but when you quote and you talk about the exclusivity of the gospel, man, walls go up quicker than you can imagine. Here are a couple of quotes. How could there be, this is from a 24-year-old young lady, how could there be just one true faith? It's arrogant to say that your religion is superior and try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all the religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their followers. Here is a, a little bit older young man. He said, religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the entire world. It is certainly impolite. It is certainly impolite and an unspoken rule in polite society that you do not say anything that would imply that your belief system is superior to somebody else's. And we tend to think this is a new thing. We tend to think this is a new argument. We tend to think that's really just happened over the last 30 years or so as our culture has changed. And what I want to show you right from Acts 4 is it deals with this primary objective right as the Christian movement begins. Now, let me say this, and this was kind of throughout the week when I was trying to get a hold of what Acts 4 was saying. Look at it from a fresh perspective. Here's what dawned on me. is The Bible says that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you were here last week, there was a lot of heart and a lot of soul in the worship services. I mean, a lot of tears, a lot of emotion, a lot of crying out to God, a lot of, when are you going to get my marriage back on track? And when are you going to bring my prodigal home? And when are you going to heal my body? And the altars were full of people crying out to God as a disciple that was representative of, you know what, I'm, I'm loving God with all my heart and all my soul. And that's a good thing. Today, heart and soul is certainly part of it. But to some degree, this is the other one with my mind and my strength. You and I are supposed to love God with our mind, to think intellectually, dig down into the difficult arguments and try to figure out, all right, what is a valid argument right here? And that's a little bit more about what today is about. So um, if you weren't here last week, the context of Acts 4 is Acts 3. And Acts 3 was about, uh, but Acts 2, the church is birthed. Uh, thousands of people come to Christ in like one day. And then in Acts 3, two of the apostles, two of the leaders are going to church, and on their way there, they see a lame man. The Bible says he was lame from birth. Forty-some-odd years old, he's lame from birth. And this miracle occurs, which was, you know what, Peter and John, with their apostolic authority, they heal this man, and he gets up, and he's been lame for 40 years, and all of a sudden, he's dancing with the stars, and people are like, man, that is amazing, that is amazing that that would happen. And they're like, well, who did you do this, or how did you do this? And they're like, we did this in the name of Jesus Christ. And what they were showing is that this miracle had a message. The miracle is a message that just how he healed the lame man physically, he can heal the lame soul spiritually. 
Well, they uh, basically get mad. They're like, don't talk anymore in his name. And they have a great amount of boldness. And then you get to Acts chapter 4. Let me read the first. Yeah, let's, let's kind of work through for a few minutes. Let's work through the first about, oh, 10 to 13 verses and uh, make a couple comments. And let's deal with this uh, most biggest objection, the one that silences Christians uh, more than any other argument. Verse 1 says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees uh, came upon them. I think I was there this week. Uh, Verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection uh, from the dead. So again, real quickly, two issues are going on. Number one, they were getting really upset because they didn't really want to lose their power. And that's what happens when religious people have a lot of power. They don't want to give it up, and they won't give it up without a big fight. And so Jesus comes along. People are turning to them, and they're getting really upset because, man, this is, they're, they're like, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. But the second thing is they did not believe in the resurrection. Sadducees were, we don't hear as much about them. The Pharisees were the legalists, but the Sadducees were the liberals. When I say liberals, I'm talking about theological liberalism, the idea they're going away from the fundamentals, the empty tomb, the substitutionary death of Jesus. They're like, we don't believe in any of that stuff. There's no such thing as a resurrection. And so they're preaching the resurrection, and they didn't believe in that. And so they're getting upset about it. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. The idea is you can try to quarantine the gospel, you can try to uh, imprison the gospel, but you can't. The gospel just has a way. The gospel just goes out. And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And so again, what they do, you had some, you had a bunch of people saved in Acts chapter 2, and then here you got another, and so it's just growing. And by the way, this is actually the last mention of a specific number in the entire book of Acts. Up until now, you see a bunch of markers. It's like, hey, 3,000, 120, and 3,000, and 5,000. And after that, it just gets out of hand, and there's so many people they can't count them. So you don't see this anymore in the book of Acts because it grew so fast. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. These three groups that they're talking about are collectively known uh, as the Sanhedrin, which is just think jurisdiction. They had jurisdiction over all things when it came to the temple. Verse 6 and 7. But Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family... And when they had set them in the midst, they kind of had a semicircle, so they stuck Peter and John in the middle of them. They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, this isn't really like seeker sensitive, is it? Who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So again, hey, loved ones, they're not upset about the fact, some, I mean, who doesn't like a good healing? They're not upset about the healing, as you'll see. They get upset about the exclusivity of the gospel and the fact that it was Jesus who healed this man and Jesus is the hope for you. Verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, one of the reasons we wanted to do the year of the Bible is to show you, just like the little children's Jesus storybook Bible, which I don't know how many of you as adults, I don't know how many 
we had so many adults about the Jesus Storybook Bible. I want the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is great, because one of the things the Jesus Storybook Bible does in a great way is show that every story in the Bible Old Testament through the New Testament, every story whispers the name of Jesus. Every sacrifice is a picture. Every prophet is pointing toward Jesus. The whole thing's about Jesus. And so what he's saying here is that Jesus is the cornerstone. Cornerstone was even more important back then. It was like the stone that determined the height and the shape of the building. And he's looking at them and saying, you got all this stuff. You got all, and they're in the temple. You got all this stuff. And you don't realize the whole thing, the whole thing is pointing to Jesus. You've missed the cornerstone. And here's the way it ends up, verse 12. And this is like key verse right here, key verse. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me give you one more verse, verse 20, because here's, here's the motivating factor for them. For a week, because they tell them, shut up, shut up, you can't talk anymore in the name of Jesus. And here's what they say in verse 20. For we cannot but speak, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're like, look guys, I know you guys got the power and I know you got the pedigree. But the truth of the matter is, is a guy that came up out of the dead told us what to do and we got to obey the guy that came up out of the grave. And so when they're here in, in front of these people, when it comes to the exclusivity of Jesus, again, people oftentimes today, it's like, man, you Christians are so narrow. You're so narrow-minded. I think it was Keller that said, is Christianity exclusive? He said, by nature, every single worldview is exclusive. And we'll get into that in a minute. But he said, Christianity, the gospel, is the most inclusive exclusivity that the world has ever seen. It's for every person, the good, the bad. It's the one that is not geographically locked in as well. It's why you see the fastest growing churches in places like Africa, not the West, in the Middle East. I mean, it is a worldview. It is a Christian, it is the Christian worldview. The Christian faith was started by a brown man in the Middle East, not by an English man over in France. And so when you look at it, the apostles are not in trouble because they privately believed, you got to get this, it's, they're not in trouble because they privately believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They're in trouble because they convinced thousands and thousands of other people to believe it and told people that if they disagree with them about Jesus, that they were wrong and that God would hold them to account and there is no other name. There is no other name by which people are saved. Now, what you got to understand is the context of this is the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was built on pluralism. The, Rome, the Roman Empire would conquer people and then say, you know what? And all these people had gods, little g. They had these gods. And so they would conquer these people. And what Rome said is like, listen, you, yeah, it's fine. Keep worshiping your little god. That's okay. You worship your God, but what you can't do is say your God is superior to other gods. As long as you keep your God in your little sphere, you Ephesians, you can have your God. You Egyptians, you can have your God. You Jews, you can have your God. Just don't, do not say that your God is superior and certainly don't say your God is the only God. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting extra biblical source where 
the, the Christians, they've been persecuted for a while, and there's this, this one emperor who's like, man, you guys have been persecuted long enough, all right? I mean, it's like, the, I think it's the end of the first century maybe, and it's like, you guys have been persecuted long enough. You've been persecuted long enough. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to put, they had this deal called the Pantheon. The Pantheon had all these statues of all these different gods in there, and this one emperor's like, hey, you guys, you guys, you know, you've been persecuted long enough. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to put a statue of Jesus in the Pantheon with all, what do you think about that? You know what the Christians said? You know what they didn't say? They're like, awesome, we have a seat at the table. They didn't say, awesome, this is amazing. We got a member of Congress, that's amazing. Now we've arrived. It's not what they said, loved ones. They said, God forbid that you put Jesus with a bunch of other little gods. As a matter of fact, don't put him in there because he's not one of many gods, he is the only God. Well, by the way, that kind of ticked the emperor off, but you could see that they stood for it, and that's not just back there 2,000 years ago. I mean, we could do the whole, the rest of the message on different examples of modern-day pluralism um, but that basically says it's okay to have Jesus as an option, but not the answer. That's pluralism. Jesus is okay where you have him. Just that's, that's good for you. That's not good for, for everybody. Uh, John Lennon of the Beatles said, quote, I believe... Uh, I believe what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right, but it was just that the translations have gone wrong. Um, Great theologian Homer Simpson, he said, uh, because he was going to die in this one episode, and he was scared he was going to die, and he's, quote, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. What's he saying? He's like, I want to cover all of my bases uh, just in case. Now, Gandhi said, quote, all paths leading to God are equally good. All paths leading to God are equally good. Um, another great theologian, uh, Oprah Winfrey, she said, one of, the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there is only one way. Again, it's interesting that, Jesus, that she uses that terminology because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. And she said, uh, that is one of the biggest problems. People think like Jesus. They, they think there is only one way. Quote, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God, And it doesn't matter what path you're on, it's just a journey. Uh, They all lead to salvation. All right, just a question on the floor. Does that work in any other strata of life? Okay, so suppose, let's uh, let's, let's kind of think about before we had, you know, the GPS on our phone. You had to, uh, you either had to continue to make poor decisions or you had to pull over and ask for directions. And so if, when you think about it that way, uh, suppose that you are trying, let's just say, I don't know, let's say you're trying to go from Western North Carolina, let's say Pittsburgh, all right, just name it, Pittsburgh. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm lost, I'm lost, I need directions. And you pull over and you're like, hey, we're trying to get to Pittsburgh, how do we get there? What road do we take? What highway should we get on? And the guy's like, you're trying to get to Pittsburgh, <laughs> that doesn't really matter what road you're on. I mean, just take, take whatever road they all eventually they're all going to eventually lead to Pittsburgh. Now you're going to go, that is, that's crazy. Why? Because some roads lead to Florida. Some road leads to Canada. Some road leads down to Mexico. Some roads lead out to California. Not all roads lead to Pittsburgh. Buddha said there's 84,000 roads to enlightenment. That is distinctly different than Jesus said there's one road and I am the road. So the fundamental question, loved ones, is this. Is, are there multiple ways to God? That's, that's the fundamental question because that goes to the crux of 
you know, what's wrong with the world. Again, nobody argues there's something wrong with the world, correct? I mean, if you ever, 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 not just in the last 18 months, but I mean, nobody looks out at what's going on in the world like, man, that is just killing it right there. That is perfectly in order. Everything's going great. Nobody does that. The question is, uh, what, how did it go wrong, and then how do you fix it? That's always the question. And so Peter's explanation here helps us with two of the biggest, I don't know what you'd call them, pe- problems people have. And I want you to think like this. You've got to be able to think through this because you're called to be an ambassador, all right? Whether you're working at Borg Warner or Mission or Advent or police officer, what, if you're a Christ follower, you're called to be that. And this is the thing that shuts us up so quick. It's like, oh, I don't want to be cocky. I don't want to be arrogant. So let's, let's, let's just deal with a couple of them, the ones that are here in the text, okay? The problem number one is you get accused of being prideful because you're saying Jesus is the only way. This leads to pride. People say that if you think Jesus is the only way, you think you're better than other people, that you have some corner on the market, that he loves you uh, the very, very best. And let me, let me say this. It can happen. That can happen. They're like, that causes division. Some people even say, you know, that causes wars. And I would say this. I agree with them if you confuse religion and the gospel. If you confuse religion and the gospel, religion definitely causes division. Religion does. Why? Because religion, as its definition, is about what you do. It gives you a standard for what is right and wrong, what is proper and what is improper. And typically what we do, if if it's a religious person, it's very easy to say what I do and how I behave and how I looked and how I live my life, that is proper and the way you live your life, that is improper. So it does not take very long to look down on the people who are not acting according to the standard. But in the text, Peter in the last verse says, listen guys, I ain't smarter than you. I don't have a corner on the market. I'm just telling you what I've seen and heard. We saw you beat a guy to death, put him on a cross, put him in a tomb, and he came up out of the grave and told us to tell others. So that's all I'm saying. As a matter of fact, they go to great lengths to say, you know what, we're, we're, we don't have it all together. By the way, a little side note, look at verse 13. Remember, Luke is the guy that wrote the book of Acts, and Luke was educated, and Luke was a doctor, and he was friends with Peter and John. So a little sidebar, a little humor, I, I think. This is, not, this is not Bible, this is Bruce. But so what, what I think, it's, it's kind of funny that he goes out of his way in verse 13 to talking about his buddies, Peter and John. Again, he's educated, he's not common, he's a doctor. And he's looking at these other people uh, and, he's talk, and he's writing it down. And he's like, and they were uneducated <laughs> and common. It's almost like you can picture, well, you know, sometime later, Peter like, Luke, did you have to put that in there? I mean, did you have to call us like not the sharpest tools in the drawer? Did you have to say that? But he goes out of his way. You know what? It's, it's, it's not that. It's not that. So let me uh, give you this quick uh, primer on this. Religion is about self-justification. The gospel is about God justification. Religion is about, you know what? This is what I got to do to get back to God. Buddhism says basically cease your desires. Islam says live according to the good deeds as put in the Quran. Judaism says, you know, live in obedience to the commands of God and prayer and Sabbath and all that. In other words, save yourself. In other words, you're the hero. In other words, you're the savior. In other words, religion says I'm the solution. That's religion. I do certain things to it's the proverbial ladder. I'm climbing these rungs on the ladder to get back to God. There's only two world religions. It is the religion of works and it's the religion of grace. That's, it's only two. There's not five, there's not six, there's two. 
And one of them is self-justification. But the gospel, Christianity, is not about self-justification. It is the fact that God justifies and he gives grace. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus does the work. Jesus does the work. Jesus is the one that lives the life we were supposed to live. And then he dies in our place when we rebelled and didn't live the life we were supposed to live. Those are diametrically opposed worldviews. So the gospel is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's not about your moral record. It's about his moral record. It's about a gift of grace that doesn't make you prideful or judgmental. People are like, you know what? That guy's like really, really harsh. He must really, really, really believe the gospel. I would actually disagree. Because the gospel does not make you arrogant. And by the way, I'm not talking about confident. There's a big difference between confidence and arrogance. There's a huge difference between rudeness and boldness. Boldness, yes. Arrogance, how are you going to be arrogant when you have a deep, deep understanding that your sin was so bad It caused the Son of God to be crucified on a cross and die naked in front of a bunch of mockers. How in the world are you and I going to be prideful? No way. It's not that we believe that if we're arrogant, it's not that we believe the gospel too strongly. It's that we don't return to the gospel often enough. And so what religion does is religion does push that out there, but the gospel makes you humble and um, And again, the gospel is not for those who morally outperform other people. It is for those who cry out and admit their failure and cry out to Jesus. And by the way, and you're like, well, I remember my stepdad said this. uh, I was sharing the gospel with him and going through it and talking about grace. And he grew up in a very religious background. And he's like, man, that's just too easy. How People aren't going to do anything if it's about grace. I mean, people aren't going to help and people aren't going to do. It's not that, well, never mind, I shouldn't say it. Um, So... He couldn't get over the scales that, you know what, if my good is good, it ought to be better than that joker down the road. And it was hard because as an attorney in a small town, he ended up seeing a lot of stuff that was not pretty. And he could not equate that if somebody understood grace, that it would actually change them. And yet that is Christianity. It changes from the inside out. People think pluralism, that'll make everybody nicer. And that's never worked. I mean, think about it. Um, the Greco-Roman culture, do some study, it was brutal, brutal. The early Christians, among all this stuff, you know what? They were the ones that uh, reached out to the marginalized. They were the ones that were generous with whatever God had given them. They were the ones that elevated the role of women. They were the ones that celebrated marriage. They were the ones that took care of the orphans. And it's not because they were trying to climb a ladder back up to God. It's because God had come down to them and changed them internally in anything but prideful. Second argument. Second argument is it's just your preference. Religion is a matter of personal preference. Just believe what you want to believe as long as you're sincere. All religions basically teach the same thing. Be nice. Follow the golden rule. You call him Jesus. We call him Allah, Buddhist, Barney the Dinosaur, whatever it is you want to call him. That is, that's fine. And so what what Peter says in here, this is not about my personal preference. This is not about what I prefer. It has to do with what Jesus did and got validated at the resurrection. Okay, here's what is introduced. And there's a guy in the uh, 
kind of Western thought called Immanuel Kant that actually kind of introduced, and he's the one that said, religion is subjective truth. Okay, just stay with me for a second. There's a difference, and what we're talking about is, you understand the difference? We're talking about objective truth and subjective truth. All right, Western thought would say that religions are subjective. It's fine for you, but that's subjective. What Peter is saying in here, this is not subjective at all. This is objective truth. The Bible says not that Jesus died on the cross and got put in the grave, but he came up and he showed himself to 500 people, put the names down of some of the people that saw him at the time it was being written so they could go check and say, hey, did you see him? Did you see him? Did you see him? And so it's not about what your preference is. That doesn't, again, um, let me use another one. So let's say a teacher is uh, teaching a class, and on the test there is the question, what is the capital of Texas and somebody puts down on their paper, the capital of Texas is Dallas. Turns his paper in, gets his paper back, and it's marked wrong. And he's like, why did you mark it wrong? Teacher's like, because the capital of Texas is not Dallas. The capital of Texas is Austin. He's like, well, I don't feel like it should be Austin. I feel like it should be Dallas. And so what he has to explain to him, it doesn't really matter at this point. This is not a subjective truth. This is an objective truth. The objective truth is the capital of Texas is Austin. So you might feel it should be Dallas. You might pray that it ought to be Dallas. You might even petition that it is Dallas. But the objective truth is it is Austin, Texas. And what Peter is saying is, and what the only question that separates the gospel from virtually every other religion is this, is can we save ourselves? And loved ones, if we can save ourselves, then there are multiple ways. If only God can save us, he saves us in the only way that he has provided. And verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which... We must be saved. So I was trying to think, okay, what's the application? If you're a Christ follower, what's the application? Besides an apologetic that you can be challenged to be able to give a reasonable answer to a reasonable question and humility and boldness all at the same time. Well, obviously the, the, the beautiful part about the gospel is, and we, we've talked about this before, you know, virtually every other religion has a dominant geographical place that it is. And the beauty of the gospel is, I mean, as I said earlier, there's the fastest, where the gospel is spreading the fastest is not here. It's not California. <laughs> That's just not a shock. But it's just saying, it's not, it's not there. It's not there. Where is it? It's places like China. All right? It's places like, believe it or not, like Saudi Arabia. And so this is far from any kind of European Western thought. We were late to the game. And so I thought, what is it, what is it uh, for us? Here's, here's what I would, I'm going to give you three quick application points. Number one is you got to know this thing. You got to know this. And what I mean by know it is it struck me that the people he's preaching to are good people. They're moral people. If, if it was the Boy Scouts, they would have had a ton of patches on their sleeve. These are people who play by the rules. These are even religious people, but they had never repented and believed. The people he's talking to had and they went, to, they went to church. 
but they'd never repented and believed. They'd never actually said, you know what? I believe that what you did on that cross counted for me. They'd never done that. They'd never believed. They'd never repented. They'd never say, you know what? I'm not the boss of me anymore. You're the boss of me. And the question you got to ask as you show up to church, I know you get extra points for showing up to church in the, you know, hopefully the late stages of, a, of, of COVID, but the bottom line, you, you got to ask the question, do I know that? Has there been a time when I actually put my weight on what Jesus did on the cross and took it away. It's like, I'm not self-righteous. I can't self-justify. You've got to justify me. Justification means declared not guilty. The question you've got to ask is, as you sit in church today, as you watch online, you've got to ask the question, has God declared me not guilty as I believed in what Jesus did on the cross? You're like, you know what? I've gone too far. I've been gone too long. You can't. You can't outsend the cross. That's what you've got to know. So the cross is for those people who are really, really bad or think they're really, really bad. That's why Jesus died. It's also for those people who think they're really, really good. And you go to a church and you help people and you work down at the food kitchen and all that. And that's great stuff. That's great stuff. That ought to be a witness to what God has done internally in your life. You got to ask the question, have I done that? If not, man, don't leave this place. And I just beg you, please do not leave church today or flip off the, the live stream by thinking, you know what? I hope that works out for me. No. Jesus said, listen, wide is the way, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. And he's like, I'm the way. So, I mean, if he hadn't said, you know what, what you did on the cross counted for me and I believe it, be the boss of, just be my boss. You got to own that. Do that today. It's a, a, another one, by the way, is the whole thing about the exclusivity of Christ is you got to own this as a Christian. What I mean by that is when you hear things like this, and you know, I know some of you kind of pushes back on you. It's like, man, I don't like to think about the implications of Jesus being the only way. Jesus is the only way, then I got some people, are, and don't go off and it's like, what about the, this is the difference, what about the person over in Ecuador somewhere who's never heard the gospel? Okay, that's a different sermon. Uh, we'll actually probably hit that when we look at Romans 1, but is that really the issue for you? I think the question you got to ask is, not about the person over in some jungle in Ecuador, you got to ask, the, what about the person who's crossed the room for me in a cubicle? That's what you got to ask. And as a Christian, you basically got three different options here. So do I. You can either flat out just say, I don't believe that stuff. I just cannot believe in a God who would be that exclusive. And again, it is the most inclusive exclusivity. It's open to anybody, no matter how good, no matter how bad. Second thing you got to add, you can either, you can ignore it. And honestly, that's what, uh, and by the way, you see, church, listen to me. Just do a little church study over the last 50 years in our country and, and tell me that you don't think churches are not rejecting this. Absolutely they are. We're going to be like the last man on the island if we're not careful. I'm just saying it's going to happen. You're telling me that the cross and the blood and all that stuff is, I'm saying that is absolutely historic Christianity and that's what we stand on. So the question you've got to ask is do I, A, I can either reject it, Number two, the one that's a little more palatable, I can just ignore it. You know, I don't want to think about the implications. And honestly, that actually is more callous than the first one. Or you and I can own it and say, for the glory of God, would you help my life count for the gospel? God saves. You don't save. You don't save. Just take the pressure off. You don't save, all right? You don't save your husband. You don't save your neighbor. You don't save your person that plays on a ball team. God does the saving. God does the saving. 
The question is, and the observation would be, look throughout the book of Acts and see where God saves somebody apart from the witness and the testimony and the relationship of one of his followers. You don't see it. I take it back. One exception, Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul. I'm just saying that doesn't happen that often where God's like going to strike somebody blind and speak to them audibly. Usually wants to speak to them through us. And the idea is uh, you can just give it. Um, here's the last thing is, is by giving it, faith is to be public, not private. It says when they saw the boldness, boldness means plainly or with confidence. Again, not arrogant, not pushy. What does that look like for us? That means the way you deal with your social media. I mean, is your social media more about, um, is it more about your politics or is it more about your savior? Is it more about making a point or more about making a difference? What I've noticed is you can't do both. You can either make a point or you can make a difference, rarely both. What about, uh, you can go to your, your, your family. Some of your family's like, man, uh, you can go to that church, just don't bring it to lunch, okay? Here's an easy one. There's folks watching at home and you're a Christ follower. There's people in the room, there's people in Hendersonville. You know Jesus and the one step God is asking you to take is so simple. And it would be a witness to people. It would be bold and just get baptized as a believer. You got baptized as a six-month-old or christened as a six-month-old or you got baptized as a seven-year-old or whatever and you look now and you're 23 or you're 25 and you're like, I have never boldly proclaimed Jesus as my Savior that that way. And here's what finally dawned on me is if you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I ought to be public. I just kind of want to keep it to myself. I'm an introvert. I'm a, just kind of quiet. What you've got to eventually ask yourself and observe is somebody went public for you. Somebody went public for you. And I'm not just talking about Jesus dying publicly in front of a bunch of mockers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody went public for you. My three brothers went public for me. They told me over and over and over again, and I pushed back. And a lot of times we don't want to go public because we're afraid of the pushback. Thank God somebody went public for you. And so what I'm asking you to do is pray, God, help me be public. God, help me to pray for that one. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. And so what today is is more declarative. Last week was introspective and crying out and intercession, and you're crying out for all these different people. Today is more declarative. And so here's what we're going to do at all the campuses. Again, there will be people after the service that would love to talk with you, or if you made a decision today, it's like, man, I gave my life to Christ today. What do I do now? Man, make sure you talk to a pastor. But when you're looking at God's people dispersed and distributed around Western North Carolina, that old hymn we sang earlier was just like, you know, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I mean, that is a declaration. And so what we want to do is I'm going to pray, and then just so you know, you're going to be simultaneously belting that out. You only got like two minutes to do it, Okay. So you're like, I'm going to try to warm up the old vocal cords. No, that's, that time is done, all right? That time is done. You get it, you get it, and you're saying, you know what? This is a declaration of my faith. Every single campus has got some amazing singers, but the bottom line is by the end of this thing, you don't need to be able to hear them. You might be able to hear Fred next to you or Susie down the row, and you don't like the way they sing at that point. You just praise God for Susie singing, all right? I'm just glad Fred's belting out. He's so off-key, but thank God he believes that Jesus can save, all right? So I'm going to pray, and you're going to stand, and when you are going, if you leave, if you leave uh, before the song's over, all right, we'll just, we'll, we'll, 
pray for you, all right? We'll just pray for you. And if you're a volunteer and oh, i got a volunteer, all right, you can get out there, just scoot quick afterwards just like I will. Father, we want to pray the next two minutes would be an anthem that is sweet music to your ears. God, help us be bold and humble at the same time. And that cannot happen unless you do it. Forgive us for our arrogance when we've been that way. Forgive us for our uh, callousness when we've been that way, when we've just not wanted to get the pushback. Just want to be accepted. God, forgive us for that. Would you put on each of us individually and collectively as a church the urgency of the gospel, that eternity is long and you love people and you are at work in people all around us. And God, help us to step into that opportunity. When somebody says, hey, I got cancer, say, can I pray for you? Help us to step into that. God, we don't know the time we have left. We want to make the most of it for the gospel, for the glory of God, the gospel, but we also want to do it for our, the people around us that they are, they are eternal beings. As we see people, help us understand you love them and they will live forever somewhere. So God, help us not ignore it, not help, us, help us not reject it, help us to embrace it, love people and love you. So God, our prayer is the next two minutes the declaration we both sing and that we hear would do nothing but bolster the confidence we have in the gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.